Welcome to Today on Broadway for Thursday, July 23rd, 2020. I'm arts and culture writer Ashley Steves. I am here solo today as we are thankfully speeding ahead toward the weekend and also towards the end of the month. I cannot believe it's already almost August, but after the heat wave that New York has had for the last week... My Buffalonian blood is boiling. I am ready for the fall, y'all. Give me September already. Let's just skip August. (laughs) But we've got one more show left in the week. I'm not sure who will be here tomorrow. I think either Matt and Alicia or me and Alicia, which will be great since we obviously haven't gotten to do a show yet. And I am really damn excited to have her on board. But whoever is here, know that you can get that episode early by heading over to patreon.com slash broadwayradio where broadwayradio.com slash patreon to back us if you haven't already. On to today's top news story, which came from Michael Paulson at the New York Times, who wrote a new feature titled, Black Plays Are Knocking on Broadway's Door? Will It Open? The Big Question of the Moment. In the piece, Paulson details several plays and musicals from Black playwrights that are aiming for a Broadway house when theater returns, including the recent public theater revival of Entezaki Shange's For Colored Girls Who Have Considered Suicide slash When the Rainbow is Enough, Thoughts of a Colored Man by Kenan Scott II, and Charles Randolph Wright's Blue, which was recently scheduled to play at the Apollo Theater after producer Brian Moreland was unable to book a Broadway house, according to Paulson. The piece also discusses Michael R. Jackson's A Strange Loop, which will first go to Wooly Mammoth in Washington when live theater returns, before trying again for Broadway, now with the help of its recent Pulitzer Prize. The list of Broadway hopefuls includes several shows that are at various stages of development, and also with producers at different levels of clout. School Girls, or the African Mean Girls play, playwright Jocelyn Bio is currently working on a new Afrobeat musical, Goddess, which is slated to have an initial production at Berkeley Rep, supported by producer Christine Schwartzman, who then wants to bring it to Broadway. Other productions that Paulson discusses are Passover by Antoinette Noadu, Tony Stone by Lydia Diamond, and Gun and Powder by Angelica Sherry and Ross Baum, as well as others. And then you have some shows with bigger name producers, including Disney and my personal favorite person, Scott Rudin. According to Paulson, Disney Theatrical Productions is working on a musical adaptation of Hidden Figures, which it has been exploring since 2018 with the film critic Elvis Mitchell as creative consultant. You'll note that there was a Hidden Figures film starring Taraji P. Henson, Octavia Spencer, and Janelle Monae back in 2016 that was produced by 20th Century Fox, which has since been bought by Disney. The aforementioned Rudin is also looking to revive August Wilson's The Piano Lesson and is also reportedly considering a commercial production of the musical The Black Clown. And then Lee Daniels is aiming to bring Jordan E. Cooper's Ain't No Mo, a show I have heard nothing but incredible things about, to Broadway with various levels of success so far. Says Daniels, quote, resistance is an understatement. The producer began talking with Broadway producers about mounting the show, who, quote, looked at him like he had four heads. 
As the piece mentions of the shows that are scheduled to be on the boards in spring 2021, only three are written by black writers, and all three of those are jukebox musicals. Ain't Too Proud by Dominique Mariso, Tina by Katori Hall, and MJ by Lynn Nottage. Now, there's a lot more to the piece, so I highly recommend taking some time on your Thursday to read through it, but it does go into the problem Matt and I constantly discuss on the show, especially over the last couple months, which is who holds the power and controls Broadway houses, namely the Schuberts, Nederlanders, and also Ju Jamson for the majority of Broadway houses. As Paulson says in the piece, over the last few years, availability has been limited because Broadway has been booming, but industry leaders expect that to change next year, given the uncertainty over the pandemic. So from a financial standpoint, producers may actually be willing to have some of the above conversations now. As always, what matters is who is willing to take the risk and put up the money, and more so now than ever, as we continue to talk about necessary systemic change in Broadway's institutional racism. Producers have historically been more willing to take risks on white male artists up to present day, with very few exceptions, slave play being the very rare instance of, of note recently. Because again, the only pieces that had black writers attached to them pre-pandemic were jukebox musicals, which to an extent sell themselves. So it's good to have names. It's good we have a list of shows that are trying for Broadway, some of which we already know and already know are phenomenal pieces of art. So it's good to see that there are producers currently pushing for them. And now it's up to Broadway producers to also want to push for them, especially again, after talking so much talk just a month ago. So keep those show names and playwrights names in mind in case when we return to Broadway, finally, those shows and writers aren't on the marquees. But for now, on to the rest of the news, including, as you can guess, the latest COVID-19 theater update. On Wednesday, the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees Stagecraft Safety Committee released via their website a 27-page COVID-19 reopening recovery plan for Broadway and all live theater performance as well as other facilities. Per the document, quote, COVID-19 presents unique challenges for the IATSC stagecraft local unions. As states, provinces, and communities move individually to reopening and returning to work, it is essential that IATSC locals have consistent science-based guidance on how to ensure their members are returning to work under the safest possible conditions. This plan was developed through a review of various industry stakeholder guidance strategies, governmental agency advice, and the observations and recommendations of local union leaders in each of the crafts represented within the stagecraft department. Detailed in the document, which was reviewed by medical experts, are guiding principles and general practices that include the requirement that venues have a safety plan put into place that puts the safety and health of crew members slash employees and the general public as the highest priority, a public health liaison in advance of any reopening in any setting, 
and various specific steps for venues, including but not limited to providing of required PPE, the establishment of autonomous COVID-19 compliance officer program, staggering call times, daily screening, communication of protocols and consequences for violations based on adequacy, and also additional requests that affect how audiences interact with the theater, including eliminating backstage tours, imposed show stage door greetings, and having theatergoers grab their own playbills as opposed to receiving them from ushers. We will include a link to the full 27-page document in the show notes, of course, for you to check out. Obviously, several good and necessary, necessary steps here. The only thing I am currently concerned about is how the guidelines specifically as far as talking about audience members grabbing their own playbills will affect ushers and other venue staff who have constant contact with audience members. That's something I've been worried about for a bit regarding non-union staff members and what kind of protections they will actually have when things start back up, already few and far between as it is. Um, Worried currently that you know if you lose a certain aspect like that obviously it's not the only thing you they do but worried that losing aspects of their job will mean some of those jobs get phased out when we come back which you know can only hope right now that is not the case Speaking of Playbill, though, and this is part news, part recommendation, there was an article in Fast Company as part of its The Rebuilder section written by Christopher Zara about how Playbill will survive the pandemic. It's a really interesting read. It talks about what Playbill has done over the last few months, how their traffic has increased. At the start, it was really so people could see which shows were being canceled or rescheduled into when. But now with the shift to online content, such as as the Pride Play streams, Playbill, Playback, and more. Like the rest of both the theater and the journalism industries, it has taken some hits in the past few months, though, and has had to reportedly furlough more than half of its staff. It also received a sizable loan from the Paycheck Protection Program, which, according to public documents from the Small Business Administration, was between $2 million and $5 million. Completely shifting to online, though, they are working towards continued expansion, including a budding TikTok in the works and more Instagram content, which is reportedly the fastest growing part of their business. So a bit of good news, bad news situation, which again, see all of theater and journalism recently and forever. It's something I hadn't really thought about too much, uh, you know, somewhat selfishly considering my work is 90% online these days, but something the piece addresses and that's the playbills building of its brand in recent years by having so many people ritualistically sharing their show playbills on Instagram and other social media and how their brand is very dependent on that and how that doesn't exist anymore because there isn't live theater. So just what they've had to do to combat that. It's a really cool read for you to check out this Thursday, though. Been very grateful to play Bill over the last few months, especially with their Pride Plays content. And finally, to wrap up the COVID-19 section, over in the West End, the planned transfer of Moulin Rouge has officially delayed its 2021 bow. 
Despite the UK beginning to ease restrictions on indoor live performances, though, as we talked about earlier in the week, a lot of that isn't economically viable, the West End premiere will begin performances in fall 2021 at the Piccadilly Theatre as opposed to the previously scheduled March. The show becomes the latest London-bound show to push back its opening, including Frozen and Andrew Lloyd Webber's Cinderella. Exact dates and additional details for the postponed run will be announced at a later date. Let's wrap up the show with a few other news items in brief. On Wednesday, the Public Theater announced it has extended its virtual world premiere of The Line. The documentary play, co-written by Cole Country writers Jessica Blank and Eric Jensen, premiered via livestream on YouTube on July 8th and was originally scheduled to go offline on August 4th, but it will now run through September 1st. The play, directed by Blank and starring Santino Fontana, Aryan Gupta, John Ortiz, Allison Pill, Nicholas Pinnock, Jamie Sheridan, and Lorraine Toussaint, is based on the first-person accounts of New York City's first responders during the COVID-19 pandemic. It is a great and difficult show, so if you haven't checked it out yet, you thankfully have an extra four weeks to do so. And if you want to hear more from Blank and Jensen about the show, we may have that for you in the near future as well. And finally today, Broadway Records announced on Wednesday it will release a live album of the late great Nick Cordero's 2019 Feinstein's 54 Below show. Live Your Life Live at Feinstein's 54 Below is scheduled to be released on September 17th, which would have been Cordero's 42nd birthday. Michael J. Morch Jr. music directed the concert and has also produced the album. He and Cordero were reportedly in the beginning stages of preparing it for release when the Bronx Tale star became sick with COVID-19. The album will now benefit the late actor's wife, Amanda Klutz, and their young son, Elvis. The album can be pre-ordered now at broadwayrecords.com. All right, that is all we have for you on this Thursday. So thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Ashley. Also be sure to head over to patreon.com slash broadwayradio or broadwayradio.com slash patreon to back us if you can so you can get the news and interviews before they hit the main feed. Everyone, though, have a great Thursday, and we will be back to talk with you tomorrow. Thank you.